Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. What's the mercies of God? The gospel. I appeal to you, therefore, by the gospel. Why the gospel? Because in Christ and the gospel, everything changes. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what's the problem with a living sacrifice? Think, a sacrifice is placed on an altar. The problem with a living sacrifice, it keeps wanting to crawl off. This is our worship, set apart, consecrated for the things of the Lord. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I mean, this is what it comes, this is greatness. Hi, friends, and welcome back to Live in the Light. We're thankful, as always, that you've taken time out of your day to be here, whether it's in the car or at home or in the office. We're seriously thankful that you've joined us today. Last time, we started a new series, which we're calling Less is More. In particular, we're going to be looking at the single-minded, focused heart in the life of John the Baptist. This is a man whose message was to prepare the way for Jesus. His vision is the exaltation of the Lord Jesus, and his heart was to lead people to Jesus. It's a sweet, simple life focused on one person, Jesus. And that, we think, loved ones, is a great place for us to frame our hearts also. That's why for the next few days, we're going to be looking at this interesting man that God used so greatly in his message. So let's jump right into today's text in Luke chapter 1 and join our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons, with today's message entitled, John Joy Jesus. What are we learning here? Zechariah, old man, Elizabeth, old woman, no child, brought reproach upon them in that culture. We learn that from Luke chapter one as well. After John is given to them, uh, Elizabeth says, my reproach has been taken away. I'm no longer barren. They're desiring a child. They desperately want to see the Messiah. Notice this, notice this then. In one statement by the angel, their two greatest prayers are answered. The angel says, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name John, and he will be great before the Lord. I mean, think about that. Think about that. In one statement, they probably gave up on any hope that they would ever see a child. And where they were at the coming of the Messiah, we're not sure. But in one statement, the faithfulness of God is seen to them in ways they probably never imagined their mind, blown by the faithfulness, the grace, the power, the mercy, the goodness of God. Loved ones, take that truth of Zechariah and Elizabeth, put it in your life right now. What are we asking God for? What are we longing for him to do? Longing for his return, longing for him to be so gracious and kind to us as he is. But listen, in, the Lord will do what the Lord will do, and he will prove to be faithful as we sang today. Take that truth right now. You apply it in your life right now. You apply it as the Lord would have you apply it right now, and you understand that he can only be one thing to you, faithful. He can only be good to you. We're not the judge of how God looks and what he does. He is. He's his own interpreter. And he will prove himself to be faithful again and again and again. That's why there's no one like him. Right down to the faithfulness. Think of this. John was named before he was even conceived. Awesome God. 
And now look at verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness. Notice, you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. Why is this important? Joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. You know, I think behind this again, if you understand the context of the time of this really the beginning of the first century, which is where we are. This is when really our concept of time and the year that we're living in right now began with the birth of Christ. Awesome. But for Zechariah and Elizabeth and the Jewish people, the one commentator said it was a tumultuous time. It was a perilous age. The people of God had long left the place of peace. The political climate was thick with corruption Darkness was everywhere. The rule of Herod was cruel and sinister and oppressive. The state of religion was plush with legalism and devoid of heart. Again, itself corrupt and riddled with deception. The poor classes were being taxed to exhaustion. The taxes spent on the lavish creations of and palaces of Herod. The power of Rome was growing with every single day and the entire Jewish climate was being squeezed on every level. Tough, tough time to live as the Jewish people. For those genuinely seeking what the Lord would do and what he would bring, it was a very, very difficult time to hang on to this faith. So just imagine then, as you are a faithful Jewish person seeking the consolation of Israel, and you're longing for the glory among the Jewish faithful. You are longing for the arrival of Messiah because he's the one that will solve the issues and the problems that you face. He is the one who will answer your greatest needs. Imagine some of the prayers that would rise up from God's people. Have you forgotten us, O Lord? Shine your light upon us, O God. Where are you, O Lord? But isn't it so true, loved ones? Listen to this. This is such an important principle for right here in Luke 1 and for our day today. Isn't it so true that the darkest hour precedes the dawn? Isn't it so true that the wilderness is the way to Canaan? God's people had to travel through the desert to get to the promised land. Isn't it so true? That so often the darkest time of our lives is preparing us for the light and the glory of Jesus Christ to shine in a way we've never seen before. That is true here in Luke 1. And think of the day and time we live in right now. So dark. So many living without hope. No answers. And yet could it be, and Lord we pray would be, that truly... The darkest hour precedes the dawn, and yes, the wilderness is the way to Canaan. I mean, who's that for right now? The anticipation then is massive in our context. And listen, listen, you got to see this, right? This isn't just a nice story, angel Gabriel appearing in Zechariah, oh, we get to have a child. No, no, no. Listen, this anticipation of the Messiah is first announced and first realized through the birth of John the Baptist. This is where it begins. The whole entire world changes as it's initiated through the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is the one who is the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the light of the world, who comes to live and die for our sins and be raised from the dead. It begins with John the Baptist. He comes to announce, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So everything, all of history is turned in this moment. With the beginning of Gabriel saying, and you shall bear a son, and his name will be called John. 
See, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Sometimes we get so impatient. Sometimes we make God be based on our concept of time. But a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Oh, the call to be faithful. Listen, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Number one, the prophet was announced. Listen, number two, the prophet of power. Now look, the prophet of power. Look. Verse 15. The angel continues, Gabriel says, and he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now notice right away, he will be great before the Lord. Loved ones, question, is there any other greatness that matters? He will be great before the Lord. Who are we trying to be great before? Seriously, who are we trying to be great before? God or man? The Lord or people? It's amazing how much effort we try to be great before other humans. We're trying to impress and be great before friends and peers and bosses and employers and family members and neighbors, colleagues. One another, we're trying to be great before and impress our girlfriends and boyfriends. I'm so glad I'm past that. I mean, women, women, think about it, women. How much time do you spend dressing up, trying to be great before other women? It was a marvel to me when I kind of first realized that women dress up more for other women than they do for their husband or whoever. What is that about? Well, if it's not checked in the right way, it's vanity. The effort we put into, and by we I mean women, the effort <laughs> we put into, don't worry men, your turn's coming. <laughs> the effort we put into seeking to be great to impress humans, but where's the greatest before the Lord? And men, the world that we live in, this obsessed culture of trying to impress, impress with Looks, impressed with clothes, impressed with cars, impressed with money, impressed with jobs, impressed with status, impressed with achievement, impressed with intellect, impressed with what is that all rooted in? Almost all the time it's rooted in you be impressed with me and it's all horizontal. There's a form of greatness which just is a puff of smoke. Oh, here's John though. And he will be great before the Lord. And again, is there any other greatness that matters? The answer is no. Oh, to have our identity found in him and our greatness before him. This is John the Baptist. Notice, notice what greatness looks like. I'll explain after I read this. Notice verse 15. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. Now, why is that there? It's most certainly a reference from number six, verse three, referring to the Nazarite, who is consecrated to the ways of the Lord. They took a vow of their life was separate from. They were set apart for significance in the things of the Lord. John the Baptist, before he was born, he was already separated for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's greatness. 
His life would look different. He was, again, set apart for the purposes of Jesus Christ. This is what greatness looked like to him. He wasn't like other people. He must not uh, drink wine or strong drink. He's, he's different. He's focused on the things of Christ. But again, John the Baptist, praise the Lord for him. There's only one of John the Baptist. But in one sense, we're all called to this as New Testament, New Covenant believers. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. What's the mercies of God? The gospel. I appeal to you, therefore, by the gospel. Why the gospel? Because in Christ and the gospel, everything changes. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what's the problem with a living sacrifice? Think, a sacrifice is placed on an altar. The problem with a living sacrifice, it keeps wanting to crawl off. Because it's alive. I appeal to you there by the gospel, you've been born again and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. All your sin has been paid for. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Be set apart. Be different. Holy and acceptable to God for this is your spiritual worship. This is our worship. Set apart, consecrated for the things of the Lord. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I mean, this is, what it comes, this is greatness. This is greatness the Holy Spirit fills. This is greatness that brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the greatness of the broken and contrite spirit desiring so much to have their life count for the Lord. Let me ask you right now, I mean, where are we in terms of human greatness versus the greatness that the Lord honors? What needs to change in our lives? What do we need to be separated from right now to pursue more greatness in the Lord Jesus Christ? I appeal to you. As my heart is being appealed to in this moment right now, what needs to go? And you will not have strong drink or wine. How much time are we spending in Netflix? Probably too much. Separated from, for the purposes of Christ, how much time are we spending on social media? Almost certainly too much. How much time were you spending thinking about money and things of the earth? Probably too much. How much time are we so focused on the gathering of, of, of self-acclaim and, 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 and friendship that can be good, but at the end, if that's all we're focusing on in Jesus Christ is an afterthought, we need to be separated from this. How much time are we spending on certain hobbies, sporting activities, whatever it might be, it's, it's, it's consuming us. It's too much. We won't see greatness in the Lord if that's all our lives consist of. Se separated from then the pursuit and the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are our gifts being used? Is our adoration truly in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we giving to the kingdom of the gospel? We are allowing our understanding that we have one life to live and we are called to be set apart again for the reasons where the Lord gets the most glory from us. Look also in verse 15. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. What? What? No way. That's awesome. Here we see the prophet of power. Listen, literally from the womb. This is remarkable to me, okay? If you're not in the Christmas spirit, we're getting there bit by bit. Luke 1, verse 39. Check this out. Luke 1, verse 39. This encourages me greatly. Should have to turn one page if one page at all. 
Luke 1.39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. Why? Because she was pregnant with Jesus. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. Listen to this. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Are you kidding me? And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, a loud cry. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Oh, wow. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Really? I mean, think about this. Think about this. John the Baptist leaping for joy in the womb at the sound of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Isn't that true greatness? The, the delight and utter joy of life in Jesus Christ. Again, again, think about it. Think about it. Jesus is in the womb of Mary. John is in the womb of Elizabeth. And John leaps for joy over the reality of the presence of Jesus. I mean, seriously? That is awesome. You have two women who are nobody in their world. Nobody. No one knows what's happening. Two women gathering together and four people in this room. Jesus in Mary's room. John in Elizabeth's room. Mary talks. John senses that it's the voice of the mother, the Lord Jesus in her womb. John leaps for joy in the womb of Elizabeth. And all the while, God the Father is smiling down about all that's taking place. That's incredible. By the way, loved ones, if there's ever a case for the sanctity of life and against abortion, it's right here. It's right here. The sanctity of life in the womb of a mother. A baby leaping for joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, even in the womb of his mother. The Holy Spirit filling his messenger from the womb, which would indicate the power that he would rest in throughout his life. The prophet announced, listen, the prophet of power, look. Third point, final point. The prophet of preparation now, live. The prophet of preparation, live. Look at verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I get, okay, this is, this is so significant. There, there, there are two main ways that John the Baptist is gonna be used in his ministry. Number one is this, he will go before the Lord. Okay, so verse 17, the angel says, Gabriel says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. The New American Translation translates that as um, he will go as a forerunner before Christ. John the Baptist is a forerunner. Now consider the privilege of that calling. John the Baptist is out front by a few months. He's out front of Jesus and his whole life and ministry will be like, here comes the Lamb of God. Here comes the Lamb of God. Behold, behold, again, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the calling upon his life. Notice how he will do that. The angel says he will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. Why is that important? Think of Elijah. Elijah 
most, most cases, Elijah, fearless, so bold in the face of opposition. He doesn't care, man. He's by himself. He's just bringing the truth. He's exalting the Lord. This is who John the Baptist will be also. Uh, Malachi chapter four, verses five and six again confirms this. John the Baptist, I will send you Elijah. This is confirmed again by Jesus in Matthew 11. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Speaking of John the Baptist, he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children right here in Luke one and the hearts of children to their fathers. So, so John the Baptist will come, he will go before the Lord, and he will go in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He knows what he's supposed to do. He does it with a fearless sense, in the fear of God, not the fear of man. It's the Sadducees and the Pharisees that come up to John in Matthew chapter 3, and he looks at them, the first thing he says as a greeting for the morning is, you brood of vipers. Who told you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Who does that? John the Baptist does that. He's that crazy kind of relative that shows up and does crazy things, right? And he says these things because he's operating in the spirit of the Lord. And notice here at the end of verse 17, right? It says this, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's awesome. John the Baptist, get ready, get ready. Jesus is coming, get ready, get ready. Jesus is coming, get ready. The son of God is coming. Repent, repent, prepare yourself. Repent of your sins. Get yourself in the proper place that you may have eyes of faith and a longing heart to receive the reality of the light that is offered to you in Jesus Christ. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was the one sent as the forerunner to prepare for the first advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ. Loved ones, think about us. The whole reason this church is here right now we are called to prepare people for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The whole reason we are here in one way or another, preaching the gospel, trying to love in the power of the Holy Spirit, the whole reason that this church exists is to make people ready because any time now Jesus Christ is gonna return, the moment he returns, it's too late. It's too late. So as much as we can, maybe you're here right now and you're not ready. You're not prepared. Your lamp is not burning. Your heart has not been saved by Jesus Christ. Your sins are not forgiven. I implore you. I mean, the whole point we're here is give your life to Jesus Christ and you be ready that your lamp then would be burning, that you would not be falling asleep, that when the trumpet sounds and Jesus Christ returns, you are ready to be received in glory because this is what Jesus does. This is who he is and this is what he offers. Jesus Christ the Lord. This is the whole reason we are here is to make as many people as possible prepared in the grace and love and the mercy of God. And that way, we want to be just like John the Baptist. Notice, how did John the Baptist prepare the people? That's the rest of verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So this is so beautiful. Turning the children of Israel from their disobedience, from their self-righteousness, from their apostasy, from their rebellion. He is, he is ordained by God before he is even born. He's set apart for a ministry of seeing people reconciled, at least prepared to meet Jesus Christ and turn from sin and then to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the one that they live for. The whole point of this church, lives change for the glory of God. Lives change for the glory of God. The children of God would turn to the Lord their God, and find where life is really found. And then notice verse 17 as well. This is interesting. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Notice God's heart for families. Notice here, part of John the Baptist's ministry as proclaimed again what's gonna happen in Luke chapter one and also what will be filled ultimately 
and the, and the, in the end times in Revelation 12 when uh, the power of Elijah, because there's double fulfillment there, as we learned even in our Malachi series, John the Baptist and the two witnesses in Revelation 12, I believe it is. But notice here God's heart for the family. God's heart for the hearts of fathers and the hearts of children towards one another. Why does God care so much about the heart pertaining to the family? Well, Adrian Rogers, he put it this way. He said this, he says, as goes the West, so goes the world. As goes America, so goes the West. As goes the church, so goes America. As goes the family, so goes the church. As goes the marriage, so goes the family. And as goes the heart. Really, so goes everything else. Just, just, just look at this for a second. This is why so much we are called to the ministry of the heart. Because when the heart is right, everything else falls into place. No wonder then, in verse 17, it says, and he is coming in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts, the hearts of the fathers to the children. This is what the Lord does. Reconciliation, restoration, grace. Notice that term there, the disobedient. That, 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 that refers to the hard-hearted. It refers to those who are so stubborn. It refers to the obstinate. Those who only see it their way, they don't need the Lord. They're just flat-out rebellious. And their heart is so hard and made of stone. John the Baptist's ministry will see he will be used and only the grace of God can melt the heart of stone. But when the grace of God comes, I mean, who here right now? The heart is so hard, so angry, so bitter, so unhappy, so refusing to move in any direction other than our own. That's the disobedient here. But notice to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just or the righteous. See, the wisdom of those who understand the ways of the Lord, the wisdom of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of the way of life, the wisdom of what life is really about. This is how John the Baptist will be used. This was the purpose of his life, and this is where we want to fall right in line with John the Baptist and say, God, would you make this the purpose of my life too? That I would be exalting Christ. So the purpose of John the Baptist, really the premier ambassador for Christ in history. Yet we are also called to be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to end here today with answering or asking this question and answering before the Lord. What is your purpose? What is my purpose? Right now, I just want you to think about that. What is the purpose of your life right now? Again, this is where I challenge us all. I challenge myself not to say what we think is the right answer and to spout out our Christianese. Like just in all honesty, if you really want to know the purpose of your life, I'd ask your spouse or a very close friend who knows you very well. Hun, what is the purpose of my life? Why, based on my thought life, based on my time that I use, based on the money God has entrusted me with, what is the purpose of my life? What am I going after? 
how am I spending this one chance I have in this life? What is the purpose of your life? Just take enough time right now to try to get a bit of a grasp on what is the answer to that question. John the Baptist knew his purpose. Here's the slide we started with. I want to end with it right here. From the womb, his joy was Christ. His purpose was a messenger of Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord. His main sermon was the arrival of Christ. That should be our main sermon too. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. His greatest goal was the exaltation of Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. And therefore, the less he became, the more he lived. Again, do we believe this? Do we believe that this could be the greatest purpose we ever follow and pursue? That's purpose in the eyes of God. That's purpose in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose I pray the Lord convinces us of here now and at this time. Have you been challenged or encouraged recently by something that you've heard on this program? This is your opportunity to step forward and give so someone else can be encouraged like you have been. You can give to Live in the Light online at liveinthelight.ca or by calling us at 844-225-4448. We can't wait to hear from you. Thanks for listening to us today. Join us again next time on Live in the Light.